if I'm not mistaken, there is no children's church today. Children, it's family day, so everybody gets to stay. So just straighten that out. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. That's great. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 10 today. Genesis chapter 10. And now this is one of those chapters that usually in your own devotional time you come to and you just go right past it because it's got all these names in it. But no, we're going to enjoy all the names. We're going to have fun with that. And um, I'm going to try to say some of them the way you might say them Hebraically. Um, so, like, if you see a J in the language, it's usually in Hebrew, it's a, it's a Y sound, so you might get a Ya out of it. Um, if you see an I, it's usually a long E sound, like machine, if you will. So those are some of the things I'm going to have fun. If you see Ite on the end of a name of some people group, the Ites, that's an a, a English version of a Hebra, Hebraism. So uh, I won't change those. I'll leave those alone, pretty much. So here we go, chapter 10. This is awesome. Don't miss this today. These are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiraz. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripath, and Togarmah. The sons of Yavan, Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Phut, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Shiva, Havilah, Sabta, Raama, and Sabtika. The sons of Raama, Shiva, and Didan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the father on earth, to, on earth to be a mighty man. He was the first, rather, the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Vavel, Erech, Echad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir. Chela and Rezin between Nineveh and Chela, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lechamim, Naphtuhim, uh, <laughs> Patrusim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaftorim. Canaan, or Canaan, fathered Sudon, his firstborn, and Hit, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Girgashites. The Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, and Zemarites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Zidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zevoim, as far as Lashah. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eder, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Chul, Gather, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah and Shelah, and fathered Eder. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, 
For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Yogtan. Yogtan fathered Almodad, Shelef, Hazar Maveth, Jerah, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Avinael, Shiva, Ofer, Havilah, and Yovav. All these were the sons of Yoktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Meshah in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. May the Lord add his blessing at the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Well, I hope you enjoyed that foray into that. Well, it's remarkable how there is so much political and government conflict and separation all over our world to this day. Global conflicts and separation. People are in conflict with each other over historic issues that brought separation that still haven't been resolved. Israel and the Palestinians, North and South Korea, of course, North Korea being in conflict with the whole world. Territorial conflicts with China right now in the East and South China Sea. Regional conflicts in Pakistan, ongoing in Afghanistan. In the Middle East, border problems with the U.S. and Mexico, and now, as we all know, Russia and Ukraine. By the way, if you go down south, even in our country, there'll be those who are still upset over the Civil War that took place 150 years ago. One of the countries that Kathy and I lived in while we were serving overseas was Hungary. And uh, Hungary is a kind of a country in the middle of Europe, Seems like it's on the eastern end, but Ukraine is on the east end of Europe. But uh, Hungary is pretty much right smack dab in the middle of Europe. And Hungary is a little country. Whenever they celebrate anything in there as a country, it's basically a loss, something they lost. Here in the United States, we celebrate stuff we've won. Well, because the Hungarians have been run over by pretty much everybody. Of course, they started it with Attila the Hun. He started things. And, uh, but like the Mongols, uh, the Turks, the Ottoman Empire... The Austrians with the Austro-Hungarian Empire ran the Hungarians over. The Germans waxed over them twice. Then the Russians. Understand, it's only since 1989 that they've been an independent country from Russia. And of course, they're still upset about what happened to them. What happened to them, you ask? Well, after World War I, with the war reparations that were assigned to Germany, they, were, they had to pay off the, the Allies. Of course, the Hungarians didn't have any money, so what, what did they sacrifice? Well, they lost two-thirds of their land mass. Two-thirds. In other words, there's a lot of ethnic Hungarians who live in other countries surrounding Hungary, like Romania and Slovakia, Slovenia, and so forth. And so to this day, the Hungarians are still upset about the Treaty of Versailles. In other words, they hate those French and if they're really upset with you, they'll say this. They'll say, you go to France, is what they'll say. <laughs> Again, conflicts that just ensue and are still out there. As we look at our world through the lens of the evening news hour, all we seem to see is conflict and pain and destruction and mayhem. Countries are in conflict with other countries. 
extremist individuals are at war with anything they disagree with, like Vladimir Putin. Our neighbors, of course, are assaulting their fellow neighbors in the marketplace and in the schools. In some cases, families are destroying their very own families and their own homes. As we'll see today, what is clear from Scripture is that our ongoing rebellion against God has brought about national separation. Corrupt political leadership, family division, and cultural strife. But I'm so very thankful that God continues to overcome these conflicts by drawing people to himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue through the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We've gone back to the beginning in our study of Genesis. And here in the book of Genesis, we're looking at this idea of the tower. The tower of Babel, or Babel as we call it. Now, with that, understand there's really two chapters that incorporate the whole account of the Tower of Babel. Here we just looked at the Table of Nations. Next week we'll actually look at the Tower itself. But understand what's going on here. This is very uh, Eastern-oriented in terms of its storytelling. Here are all the different nations. I'm going to tell you how. Here are all the different people groups we're going to look at. But then next week they're going to tell you how did that come about. How did we get all these nations? So here's the outcome. Now we'll look what brought about the outcome in next week's study. So stay tuned for that. You don't want to miss it. So here we look at uh, verse 1. It says, these are the generations. That's a Toledoth statement in the Hebrew. Toledoth, these are the generations. This is the birth record. We just read through a birth record. Understand with that Toledoth, that marker, generations, that word, that ends the flood account, and now we begin a new panel of discussion that's really going to lead us to a discussion about Abraham. And so that's where we're headed in our discussion. Now, uh, understand as we look at this passage, note that there are 70 nations that are listed here, uh, often grouped in sevens, seven being the number of fulfillment or completion for the Jew. This is not, of course, a comprehensive or exhaustive listing, but a complete list as compiled by our author Moses and given to us by God himself. So the table of nations, as Genesis 10 is referred to, is, by the way, the most accurate enumeration of the development of ancient people groups on the planet. And to uh, help us understand that, I, you'll notice I have a few proof sources here, but take a look at this one. This is uh, the Genesis record. Uh, from, our, from our dear friend Henry Morris. And uh, in chapter 10 of his work, he quotes Dr. William F. Albright. William Albright universally acknowledges the world's leading authority on the archaeology of the Near East, though himself not a believer, said concerning this table of nations found in Genesis, quote, it stands absolutely alone in ancient literature without a remote parallel, even among the Greeks, where we find the closest approach to a distribution of peoples in genealogical framework. The table of nations remains an astonishingly, astonishingly accurate document, unquote. Henry Morris goes on to say, here is the one link between the historic nations of antiquity and the prehistoric times of Noah. The grandsons and great-grandsons of Noah are listed, each of whom is identified with the city or country established by his descendants. There is nothing in any other ancient writing discovered by archaeologists which is at all comparable in scope and accuracy. That's pretty amazing. So now, 
with that, I want to throw up a map up here. So, yeah, there it is. There you go. Thank you, YY. You're awesome up there. You'll notice in terms of the distribution from the Fertile Crescent, which is right in the middle of the map, that's a, by the way, the most ancient artifacts on the planet are found right in the middle. Why? Because that's where man started in this area, the, you know, the Fertile Crescent. After the flood, men be, began to spread out. But notice where these descendants end up going. Ham goes southwest. Japheth goes northwest. Shem is kind of central and stays regional. Okay? So understand that's, that's a framework that we're looking at in terms of unpacking everyone we're going to see today. And by the way, hopefully, if you know your family background and ethnicity background, you'll kind of know where you came from today. Won't that be fun? So we'll be looking at all kinds of wonderful things, but I have four truths for your consideration before we study. But let's ask God's help. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have in your word, and what a joy it is to be able to have any time in your word, and we're just going to take a few minutes and look at this incredible passage and see what we can glean from it. To such a degree, we might be able to apply it to our lives. So, Lord, we ask that you would guide us and direct us into your truth. Be our teacher. Lord, we want to hear from you more than anything else. As we look at the world and we look at your word and we see correspondence. Thank you, Lord. We want to give you all the praise today. In your son's awesome name, amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth of four today. Rebellion against God brought about national separation. Rebellion against God brings about national separation. The phrase I want to point out to you is in verse 5. So why, why, if you get to verse 5 in our text here. From these, it says, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. Now, we're going to look at the rebellion that took place next week. But understand, it's going to be because of rebellion that brings all this separation and distribution to pass. Why do I call it that, this, this, this separation? Well, in verse 5, as I just mentioned, from these the coastland peoples spread. The word spread here, parad in Hebrew, can literally be translated as separated. The coastland peoples were separated. Remember, we've always talked about this motif that sin brings separation. It separates us not only from God, but it separates us from each other. And so that's what's thematically driving this. So they begin to spread. And the first discussion is our friend Japheth. And we looked at the geographical considerations where the, the Japhethites went north and west, up into the European regions, if you will. By way of ethnic considerations, go ahead and put this up. Uh, here we go. We got Japheth, of course, we believe uh, he is the ancient ancestor of the Greeks and the Aryans of India, Gomer, Black Sea and Germanic, Ashkenaz, the German Scandinavian, Saxon and Ripta of Europe, uh, Togarma, the Armenians and Turks, Magog, this is why this plays interesting in terms of last time's discussion, uh, Georgia, that's not, that's not down south Georgia in the United States, that's uh, Georgia over uh, in Asia. Black Sea, the Scythians, the Meshach, and Muscovy, or Russian people groups. Madai, or the Medes and the Persians, or the Indian Aryans, and uh, Yavan, or Javan. Greeks, uh, this also includes uh, Tarshish in Spain, uh, Kitim in Cyprus, Dodanim and Rodanim, which is the Dardanelles and Rhodes area. And then lastly, for all you Italians out there, Tiraz, that's the Thracians. 
uh, come from that people group. Those are the descendants of Japheth, okay? Have you figured out where you are? Are you up there? Hopefully you're up there somewhere. Now, Japheth easily applies to all the people of the Gentiles for the most part. But I want to point out, how does God see all of this? I'd like to remind you in Isaiah 40, verse 15, here's what God says about all these nations. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Can, let's, can we think about that for a second? A drop, bloop. All the nations, think of all the mighty, huge nations, right? China, Russia, the United States. Bloop. They're a drop in the bucket, right? That's how God sees it. A drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. <laughs> dust. That's how God sees it. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering, God says. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Okay? We get all worked up and concerned, and God's like, you know, I am not concerned about these things at all. Matter of fact, I'm going to use these things to bring about my purposes. Ultimately, watch me. Beloved, sin brings separation. We saw that in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden. It separates us from God and from each other. Rebellion against God brings national separation. But secondly this morning, rebellion against God brought about corrupt political leadership. And here we see the sons of Ham. But what I want to point out to you in particular is verse 8 where it says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Vavel, or Babel, Erech, Echad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. We'll look at Nimrod in just a minute. But let's take a look at the descendants of Ham, if you will. We've got the geographic considerations. They went south and west if you will, into Africa. And as such, uh, it should be next up on the list. Go ahead and pull that up. Do we have the, are the Hamites up there? Or did it freeze? There we go. So Cush, whenever you hear Cush in the Old Testament, that's the Ethiopian. Uh, the Egyptians, the actual Hebrew word that's used here is Mitraim. Uh, so that's Egypt. Uh, put their foot, there's Libya. The Canaanites, of course, uh, uh, in the land of Canaan, and the the Palestinian uh, region of the Philistines. Uh, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, that's Arabia. Iraq, home of Gilgamesh and his epic flood account of antiquity. And Akkad, we get the Akkadian Empire uh, out of all that. Now, let's talk about our friend Nimrod for a minute. And boy, that's an interesting name, isn't it? Nimrod. Now we know what we, why we use it the way we do, right? It literally means, in Hebrew, let us rebel. That's what Nimrod means. He became basically, instead of a mighty hunter, the idea is he became a mighty tyrant before the face of the Lord. Now, we've had plenty of tyrants since Nimrod, have we not? People like Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un, North Korea, King Abdullah, Saudi Arabia, Muammar al-Qaddafi, Libya, Robert Mugabe, from Zimbabwe, Fidel Castro of Cuba, Chiang Kai-shek of China. Of course, the big three, we can put those guys up. Do we have those guys? 
Yeah, there they are. Mao, Hitler, and Stalin. Bad dudes. Understand, under these leaders, under these rulers, under Mao, 40 million people died. Under Hitler, 34 million. Under Stalin, 20 million. Guys like Enver Pasha of Turkey, Hirohito of Japan, Ho Chi Minh, North Vietnam, Kim Il-sung of North Korea, Lenin of the USSR, Leopold II, Nicholas II of Belgium and Russia, respectively, Pol Pot from Cambodia, Wilhelm II, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan. And now, do we need to add to the list with Vladimir Putin? Beloved, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. In contrast, we know that Jesus Christ is, in fact, actually the King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Isaiah 40, our prophet says this, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, that is God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Nations, bloop, grasshopper. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Beloved, we are told that there will be no end to Christ's reign, as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and on his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Beloved, rebellion against God brought about corrupt political leadership. And by the way, I'd like to ask you, can you think of any righteous governments on the planet right now? Can you, can you think of any? No, they're all messed up. Ours notwithstanding, of course. Thirdly, this morning, rebellion against God brought about family division and cultural strife. Here we have the descendants of Shem in verse 21. And I want to point to you verse 25 where it says, to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Yoktan. Here we have this separation idea and division further taking place. But in particular, there's a moment in time with these descendants of Shem dividing in some capacity in some way. Now, there's quite a bit of speculation about how this could have gone about. I have some ideas on what this separation might have entailed. Again, with Shem, the father Eber, the father of the Hebrews. Um, Genesis 11, 10 through 26, from Shem to Abraham. Again, this is going to be the Messianic line. By the way, when people talk about like anti-Semitism, it's actually anti-Shemitism. This is where that comes from. In terms of geographic considerations, we saw on our map when I first introduced you, the Shemites are, stay kind of regionally central and to the east. In terms of ethnic considerations, we have the descendants of Shem with Ashur, the Assyrians, 
The Elamites, along with the Medes, brought about the Persian Empire. Arphaxad Sad, seed line to Abraham, so that's the godly line. And then Lud, the Lydians, and Aram, the Arameans, or Syrians. So that's how that unfolds. Again, with Aram, we have the Aramaic language uh, development. With Arphaxad, with a seed line from Abraham to Sarah, uh, you get Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is Israel proper, the father of all the Jews. And of course, Ishmael uh, also comes from Abraham, and he is the father of many Arab countries. So the seed lines of Esau and Ishmael in particular are very Arabic in orientation. Now, the separation of verse 25. What was this separation? Well, it's interesting to note that if you look in antiquity at all the artifacts we have on the planet, there's three major regions, if you will, of development culturally on the planet. And by the way, if you look at any ancient textbook on any people group, you will find in terms of actual archaeological data and information, it only dates back no more than about four to 5,000 years. Why? Why isn't there stuff before that? Because there wasn't any before that. You go, wow, that's crazy. So we're looking at about four or 5,000 B.C. It's as far as it goes back. And so isn't that nuts? Well, there's three areas of development. The Fertile Crescent, which is that Middle East region. Then you have the Hindus Valley, which is right before you get to the major uh, subcontinent of India. And then all the way to the east is the Chinese the Chinese dynasty. And you'll notice the Chinese aren't listed here, per se. And you go, okay, who are they and what's the deal? Why aren't they talked about here? Well, at this point, I need to talk to you about something that I ran into accidentally. And ever since I've run into it, I keep running into it more and more. And you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with it because I'm going to throw it at you. And uh, so a long time ago, I was minding my own business at a Barnes and Nobles, right? At a Barnes and Nobles, and I like, you know, big cool books, you know, that have cool things in it, right? And you know those areas where they have the coffee table books at Barnes and Nobles, where you can kind of look through. And I saw this book sitting there on top of the shelf. And I, oh, that looks interesting. Wow, look at that. So I opened it up, and then I realized this whole thing like folds out. It folds out all over the place, and I'm like, well, wow. I open the first page, and the first page, it starts with Cain and Abel and Adam. I'm like, Barnes and Nobles? Uh, got the Bible in here? That's weird. And it starts out, in the beginning, God could, wait a minute, what is this book? What is this? And I start looking at this, and I start tearing it apart, and I started running into things. Now, you know, this is a nice size one, isn't it? But, um, so it turns out, you can get a big one. So here's my big one. I need about five people to hold... Help me hold this up real quick. And I want to show you what I discovered. So I'm serious. I need about four more now. Grab an end. You just keep pulling it out gently, gently, gently. I need somebody down here. Tim, go on down here. You remember this? Yeah, yeah, just keep pulling it out. You might need somebody else in the middle. Oh, yeah, see? This goes for a while, right? Okay, so again, I'm look, by the way, if you don't get a chance to see this, because it's pretty far away, for especially you up there, uh, our, our wonderful youth pastor has pasted this on the wall downstairs by the youth room, right across from the youth room. You can go see it and, and inspect it for yourself. Again, I'm minding my own business, looking at this, 
And, you know, basically every one of these blocks, that's a thousand years. Okay? I'm sorry, that's a hundred years. I misspoke. This is a hundred years, every block. Okay, so, you know, 10, 20, 34, it's a hundred years here. And uh, this starts unfolding. It starts with Cain and Abel. Try to, there you go. Uh, don't want to wreck it, right? So, so here's Adam, okay? And I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this, and way down here, boom, see this big black line? That's the deluge. That's the great flood. Out of the deluge comes the Tower of Babel. That's what we're talking about. Uh, and uh, again, out of the Tower of Babel are all the people groups, right? I'm just minding my own business. I'm looking at I brought it home. I'm not looking at it because it seems kind of cool. And one of the things that I, I noticed right away that blows my mind is here's Adam, here's Seth, here's Enos. Underneath here is the line of Christ, and that follows you all the way to Jesus right there. So that's the seed line that we've been talking about from Genesis 3.15 that takes you all the way to Jesus. And you go, wow, this is awesome. And so I'm looking at this, and the first thing I notice is uh, Adam lives 930 years, right? Methuselah lives 969. He lived more than anybody. His line is so long, they transpose it down here. And we think he actually dies in the flood, 969 years. Now, here was what was crazy. Here's Methuselah. Here's Lamech. Here's Noah. So Lamech's dad right here was alive 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years the same time Adam was. See, I used to think there was stuff like way back there and then Noah gets on the boat, and, you know, how would he have any information from way back there? Well, it turns out that his dad could have walked with Adam for 50 years or so. So when, when, so when Noah gets on the boat, he's got firsthand information from his dad from Adam. That's, well, that's pretty amazing. All right? Now, secondly, I'm minding my own business. I'm looking at this. And I'm looking at Noah's line. Noah's line, it stops about here, okay? Notice after the flood, people are living for long years here. After the flood, it starts shortening up. People are only going no more than 120 years, God said, and that's all you get. Now look, watch this. Here's where, where Noah's line stops right here. I start looking at these people groups, minding my own business, and I look down here and I notice that, wait a minute, the Chinese... Line stops the same, same time as Noah's life stops. And then I read the subheading here. Go ahead and put up on the screen. China, founded by Fohi or Yao, supposed to be the Noah of the Bible? What? No, yeah, that's what I said. No way. Okay. Uh, 2240 B.C. Chinese historians state that Fohi was a divine personage, that he invented a symbolic mode of writing, he also invented music and dressmaking and also the custom of sacrificing at the solstices. Really? No. That's not a thing. So then I thought, well, let's try let's two for two. Let's see. So then I look at the, the next line. Let's take a look at Shem. Shem's in the seed line. His line stops there. Shem, sure enough, the second dynasty, the Shin Nong. Shin, Shem, I don't know. You judge. Shin Nong. This is what it says. He teaches the art of husbandry, the method of making bread from wheat, wine from rice, perhaps the Shem of the Bible. I'm like, what? Who, who would believe this stuff? Ever. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. You guys are awesome. Let's give them a hand.
Now, oh, is it getting intense? It is. Okay. Now, oh, I, might, I collect old books. And I was down in a cold water area, and we're at some old house, and there's a box of books. And for like a buck, I could have a box of old books. I bring it home. I don't know what I have. And I start looking at the books. And uh, there's, this book was in there. And I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. This is pretty cool. A compend of history from the earliest times. Huh. A brief dissertation by Samuel Welpley. Welpley's compend of world history. Oh, neat. So I go and open it up. And I get to the beginning, and this is what I read. Nimrod laid the foundation of the city. I'm minding my own business. I'm not looking for this stuff. Nimrod laid the foundation of the city and of the kingdom of Babylon. The beginning of his kingdom, says the sacred historians, was Babel and Iraq and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. I think that comes right out of the Bible. Nimrod was the son of Cush, grandson of Ham, and the great-grandson of Noah. The era in which the foundation of this first of empires was laid is fixed by the concurrence of most chronologers in the year of the world, 1800, about a century and a half after the deluge. That's after the flood. There's nothing known respecting the character and government of Nimrod excepting what we find in the writings of Moses. And the account there given is very concise. He is called a mighty hunter and is said to have had a kingdom, the beginning of which was Babel or Babylon. The probability is that Ham and his sons who founded Babylon and Egypt, early rebelled against Noah, the great patriarchal head and natural chief of the whole race. Ah, rebellion brings separation. Whereupon Noah and such of his descendants as adhere to him moved eastward, crossing Persia, India, and China to avoid the fury of this unnatural rebellion. Noah, who would be most likely to immigrate or to settle with one of his sons on whom his prophetic benedictions rested, and especially with Shem, whom he considered in the line of the Messiah, Elam, the eldest son of Shem, settled in Persia, and it's highly probable that Noah himself went still further east. The great antiquity of the Chinese empire, their original character and manners, and the peculiarity of their language, both written and spoken, are proofs that they're one of the most ancient nations and governments, and that their founders were among the wisest of the human race. To this, if we add this, the abundance of their traditions concerning the flood, and of things which with little alteration will apply to no end to him only, we can scarcely doubt that either that patriarch or some of his descendants near his time founded that empire. No way! This was written in 1823. You mean to tell me over 150 years ago everybody was taught in their history class that the Chinese come from Noah? It's not taught that way anymore, is it? Why? What happened? What happened in 1850 that changed everything? Does anybody know? A new book was printed. Written by Charles Darwin, known as The Origin of the Species. At which point, everything was revised. All the history books were changed out for evolutionary ideology. And so anything that had to do with scripture or a biblical account was just erased. You guys, I can even demonstrate that in my own lifetime with this. This is the first printing that I had. 
It's been reprinted by Barnes & Noble. And if you look at the front now, they've now jammed in it the evolutionary chart. This is still happening. We can't have something just with the Bible. Where's the evolution? Must have it. This is so messed up. Now look, guys, again, I'm minding my own business. I keep running into this idea. I'm teaching uh, religion out at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. This is the textbook they give me. And I come to this section on Confucius. Now remember the name is Yao or Fohi for Noah. This is what this author, uh, Mary Pat Fisher, secularist. Again, I'm just looking at a secular text. This web of human relationships supports the individual like a series of concentric circles. At the top, the ruler models himself on heaven, serving as a parent to the people and linking them to the largest cosmic order through ritual ceremonies. Confucius says that this was the source of the greatness of Yao, of Noah, a sage king of 2357 BCE. That's the same number. It is heaven that is great and Yao who modeled himself upon it. In other words, Confucius was a student of Yao, of Noah? What? This is craziness. I keep running into this stuff. Then I ran across this book, last one, Genesis and the Mystery Confucius Can Solve. Confucius had a problem because for years, for eons, the Chinese would go to the, to the west of the city and they'd offer a sacrifice. And nobody knew why. Well, what did Noah do when he came off the boat? He offered a sacrifice. And they just kept doing it and they forgot the reason why they did it. But here's what's crazy. It turns out that the articles of Genesis chapter 1 through 12 are actually embedded in the language of the Chinese. What? Synchronizing Chinese and biblical history. How do the ancient Chinese require the same historical facts regarding creation, the temptation and fall of the first human couple and similar sacrificial worship system as the Hebrew people? How could two geographically separated peoples, there's that separation, have extensive identical data if this information is based upon mere legends? And you go, well, what kind of data are you talking about? What's in there? Well, let's take a look. Okay? This is some Chinese, little Chinese education, right? So a little boxer, that's mouth. You got tree, God. Now if you know this, don't shout it out because we want to have a little puzzle for everybody. Now look at this. Think about this. Think, of, think Genesis, mouth, tree, God. What did God say about the tree in the garden? Don't eat of it. This is the word in Chinese law. And you're like, what? Watch this one. Vessel, eight, people. That's the word boat. <laughs> eight mouths in a boat. You go, what, what in the world? Watch this one. Lamb, a man actually holding a lamb. That's righteousness. Do you see what's going on here? This is embedded in language. And so when Noah travels, he takes it with him. And you go, you're kidding me. I'll get to that in a second. Now, to wrap this up, a few years back, I was, ever gone to Epcot? Anybody been to Epcot down in Florida, right? If you're familiar with Epcot, what's Epcot? There, there are all kinds of different countries, and you can go visit the different countries. And I had a chance to go visit China while I'm down there. And for me, I go in there, I'm like, man, I need to 
find more of this stuff. Because I keep running into this like, crazy idea that the ancient Chinese are really descendants of Noah. And um, I had read this book on the Chinese language. And I'm, I'm talking to my friend, kind of giving him an elbow, I say, hey, watch this. Because this, this was hanging up behind this gal at the desk. And these people who actually work at China are actually from China. It's kind of a cultural exchange. And so I knew some of these things. I said to her, so uh, what does this mean? And uh, in her best English, you know, good luck, you know. Uh, and I said, oh, okay, good luck, all right. So, uh, so how does that mean good luck? And like, what's that box right there, that one? What's that box? Uh, where plants grow, where plants grow? Oh, like a garden? Yeah, garden, that's garden, yeah, okay. Uh, what about the, this one over here on the left there? What's that one? Uh, clothing, clothes, oh, okay. How about this here? Uh, mouth, eat. Okay. What about these lines up here? Uh, everyone? Like, well, how does that mean good luck? How does that possibly mean good luck? And without batting an eye, she goes, well, everyone has food and clothes in the garden. That means happiness. It it's, it's all goes back to Genesis. And you're like, you're kidding me. Now, listen to this last quote from this. Again, how do we put this all together in terms of the Genesis account, syncretizing it with the biblical account? Since all peoples of the earth are descended from Noah or his sons, the early Chinese ancestors could have been contemporaries of Noah, who lived 350 years after the flood. There it is again. Therefore, information could have been passed to them by word of mouth, even by Noah himself. He, in turn, obtained his historical data from his father Lamech, who was 56 years old when Adam died. Thus, all the details of creation and life before the flood could have been passed to the Chinese from Adam with only two intermediaries, Lamech and Noah. No wonder the Chinese ideographic characters in their language, in which these historical narratives are stored, agree completely with the stories later recorded in Genesis by Moses, a descendant of Eber, father of Peleg, and the patriarch of the Hebrews. The source of historical authenticity was the same for both the ancient Chinese and Moses. Now, what am I suggesting by saying all this? And what is the point? Look, guys, it should be as I look at God's word, and then I look at the world, I should see correspondence. I should be able to look at the world and look at the evidence and the distribution of peoples all the world and go, man, this is similar to what we have right of the Bible. In other words, the Bible is true. The Bible is accurate. It's worthy of our receiving as truth. And and if it's true here in this part, it must be true everywhere and needs to be applied to life in no uncertain terms. So this is huge for us. These things don't prove the Bible. Make sure we understand that. But they encourage our hearts to understand that the Bible is, in fact, without any doubt, truth that we can count on. So this east-west separation and religious separation as we just described, and we kind of go, well, why all the conflict? What's brought all the conflict? Go ahead with the next slide. This goes back to James 4, 1 through 5, as we begin to wrap this up now. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source here of pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, why? Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulteresses, James says. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Uh, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Beloved, rebelling against God brings about family division and cultural strife. It just does. Last point. God is drawing people to himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue through the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And beloved, this is happening even right now. Even with all the chaos that's going on in the world right now, with all the conflict, even in this moment, God is in the process of drawing people to himself through the perfect Lamb of God. The scripture assures us that it won't always be the way it is right now with all the nations in conflict and turmoil and things that are unresolved. In Revelation 7, 9, listen to this picture. After this, John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Can you say it? Amen. We need to praise God. Years ago, I had an opportunity as I was serving in Budapest, Hungary, to pastor an international church. You guys, it was beautiful. 25 nations. There's a little picture of this, what I just read to you. 25 different nations worshiping together. And man, they lifted the roof off the place. I mean, striped, checkered, polka dot. We had everybody there. We actually had more Nigerians than anybody. My praise band, it was incredible. I had a, I had a, a German drummer, a Brazilian bassist. I had a Russian keyboard guy. An FBI agent from the American Embassy playing guitar, a Romanian female worship leader. It was incredible. Nigerian vocalists, Dutch, Filipino, and we're all praising God together with one voice. This is what we have to look forward to. And even here in Oakwood, we look at the beauty of all the different people that we have. And by the way, if we were to line them all up in terms of where we're all from, we're all from different places, different backgrounds, different stories. We all have a story. And yet we can now be unified, we can be one in Christ as we worship together. Beloved, our ongoing rebellion against God has brought about national separation, corrupt political leadership, family division, and cultural strife. God continues to overcome these conflicts by drawing people to himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue through the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Would you please stand with me as we close our service? Let me read to you by way of our benediction here what John writes in Revelation 19. He says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Beloved, that's us. We're the church. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true words of God. All of you in this room have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? These things are absolutely true everywhere we look in this scripture book. Everywhere. And if they're true, that means they're real. Because what's real is what's true. And all of us need to desperately overcome the separation, the sin that separates us not only from each other but from him. We need forgiveness and restoration through Christ. It's my hope and prayer that you've invited Christ to be your Savior, that you're living for him so that you can join the throng of people worshiping him from every tribe and every nation, even in this room, because we're from all over the place. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonder of your word. Lord, we thank you for the correspondence we can find. We go out and look in the world, and sure enough, there it is. We can account for everybody, including the Chinese. Oh, my goodness. We had no idea. But, Lord, your word always proves sure because it's truth. Lord, your word says the sum of your word is truth. And it is profitable for us to correct us, to train us, to mature us, to teach us, which end is up in this world. Lord, we're mindful of the fact that the nations are but a drop in the bucket and we're just a bunch of grasshoppers here. But you're sovereign over all and we need to find ourselves on our face before you, worshiping you for all that you are. Lord, thank you for being not only our creator, but for being our redeemer. The one who was promised of old, who would come, who would conquer sin and death once and for all. Oh God, we need you. Even in this moment, we need you. More than ever, we need you. Thank you, Lord, for attending to us through your word today. Bless these things to our hearts that we might walk in them. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Have a fantastic rest of your day.